Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're taking a look at the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO's Outlook for Q4, which is instructively subheaded, Navigating Record Highs. Global equities have indeed rallied two new highs in the third quarter of 2021, powered by strong economic and corporate earnings growth, particularly in the US and Europe. Unusually, this has coincided with a sharp fall in bond yields, with the US 10-year dropping as low as 1.2% and US high-yield bonds now trading at around 4.4%. What does all this mean for investors keen to most effectively navigate the landscape? Well, joining us today to provide an overview, we have one of the editors-in-chief of the Q4 Outlook. And we'll also hear from two sector specialists who'll be here to shine a spotlight on two areas in particular, private markets and healthcare. Let's start with Kieran Ganesh, strategist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO. Kieran, thanks as ever for joining us. The subtitle of the Q4 Outlook, as I mentioned, is Navigating Record Highs. And I guess that backdrop of global stocks continuing to rally is the critical issue here, right? Yes. I mean, I think that's been the one of the trends which has sort of confounded many investors how we've obviously had such a severe recession during the pandemic and obviously that's starting to recover. But markets, especially in the US, are significantly higher than they were prior to the pandemic. And I think that's coming with good reasons. Profits have been very strong, but it is leading to nervousness and uncertainty among many investors. And that's been compounded by the fact that bond yields have also been falling. Usually you see equities moving higher, you usually see interest rates and bond yields moving higher, but they've been falling as well. So it's leaving many investors with a sense of unease that there's sort of almost nowhere they can turn, either looking to an equity market which visually looks high or investing in cash and bonds where the prospective returns are very low. And so in short then, Kieran, what what do investors need to think about? And I guess it's time to be a bit more selective, maybe if we're looking at equities, but also to consider diversification. We've talked often about that before and, and maybe into some different alternatives. It's one of those moments where investors kind of really need to think about these sorts of things. Yes, exactly. It's a bit of both. I think in the equity space, we still see value in some of the areas which we think will be the big winners of global growth. I think that's the important thing to remember in all of this is that we have got a very strong economic growth environment at the moment as the economy recovers from the pandemic. And we think that's going to persist until at least Q1, Q2 of next year. It's easy to remember from Europe and the US that you know economies have been open for some time now, but we've still got uh, especially parts of Asia, which are still set to reopen. So we think that will add more impulse to the global economy over the coming quarters. So we particularly like Japan in that regard. And we also like a lot of the companies which are exposed to reopening, um, which have actually underperformed recently as a result of concerns about the Delta variant. But we think that they have got scope to act perform again as uh, Asia in particular um, starts to reopen. It's important to also look for diversification and alternatives. And with bond yields so low, you're not going to get a lot of diversification just by investing in equities and bonds. So whether that's looking to alternative asset classes, things like uh, hedge funds or, or private equity, or even just thinking a bit differently about the way that investors earn yield. So potentially selling volatility, looking to private credit and some other alternative asset classes uh, to generate yield, we think are important things to, to, to think about in portfolios at the moment. 
We've discussed the search for yield often before, Kieran. Remind us about that and tell us about seeking unconventional yield. What does that look like? Senior loans, private credit, these are good ways we think still of, of earning yield in portfolios and things which not all investors have. Many people have historically been somewhat constrained to public bond markets, but we think now is a good time to look beyond uh, just public bond markets. And the other area we find interesting at the moment is is in currencies, which I think over the past few months, not a lot has been going on. The dollar has been kind of relatively range bound. But we think we are entering an environment now where there's going to be a divergence in currency markets between some central banks, which will be talking a lot more about interest rate hikes. So the UK, the US, Norway, among the smaller central banks, we think will be actually the first major bank to, to hike rates. And then you've got some like Europe, like Switzerland, like Japan, where rates are going to stay very low for an extended period. So we do think that there is going to be some interesting opportunity in the currency markets to position more in some of those currencies which are likely to see higher interest rates in the future. What if we set a slightly longer term time horizon here, Kieran? What ideas in the report speak to that? When we think about the long term, the transition to carbon zero is one of the major trends which is going to be pervading economies and markets over the coming decades. And I think we're already likely to see some sign of how that might play out over the course of this winter. I'm sure many listeners will have uh, seen the headlines about uh, rising gas prices, you know, all part of the carbon transition and, and the uh, fact we had relatively light uh, winds over the summer meant that uh, we've had relatively little power generation coming. And from there, that's depleted gas supplies, lead to higher gas prices, higher carbon prices. So this trend, we think, is something that investors need to, do need to be aware of. Clearly, it creates some economic risks. And we think some of the opportunities come in the carbon markets themselves, which are a means that governments are implementing to try and restrain carbon emissions. And we think in commodity indices, we think there is scope for further gains in some of the commodities as a result of the high demand for those as we approach the winter. And more generally, the need for renewable energy capacity, the need for green technology, the need for clean air solutions, um, we think is going to benefit a lot of companies which are um, supplying those. So yeah, lots of opportunities as we go down the road to um, carbon zero and you know, adding some of those things into portfolios can help uh, mitigate some of the, the economic risks that come alongside that. And Kieran, what about the long-term thematics, these secular themes like digitization that we often cover they shape this space too, right? Yes. So when we released our, our year ahead and associated decade ahead outlook last year, we talked about the next big thing, what's going to come next after the the, the FANG stocks, which have dominated the past decade. Uh, and we identified fintech, green tech, health tech and 5G as being some of the areas where you know we expected to see the biggest growth in terms of those sectors over the coming decade. And you know those still very much hold valid today. What we're also thinking about now is some of the technologies that will enable those sectors as you know, some of the key uh, growth, growth areas. So you know, we've been thinking about uh, the companies which are going to benefit from the rise of digital assets and distributed ledgers, which are you know, a key uh, part of many fintech firms and you know, many uh, enablers of that um, process, we think, are likely to 
perform strongly over the coming uh, years. Uh, and similarly, cybersecurity is becoming a, a bigger trend as the world becomes more digital, as more things become uh, online, the importance of security just grows. So we think that's going to be a, a part of the economy and a part of the market, which is going to grow you know, well above average over the coming years. So another part of that trend. So continuing to focus on fintech, green tech, health tech and 5G, but also just thinking about you know, some of the, the, the enablers and the associated beneficiaries um, of those. Kiran Ganesh. Next up, let's check in with Karim Sheriff. Karim's a strategist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO and joins us now to talk a bit more about private markets and how they can aid in the diversification process that Kieran mentioned. Karim, Sheriff, just tell us first of all why the private market space is important here. Well, with bond yields at low levels, portfolio diversification is increasingly challenging for investors, particularly against a backdrop of global equity markets at all-time highs and emergent risks, including the Delta variant, China regulations, and geopolitics. And we think investors looking to diversify sources of risk and return should consider both hedge funds and private markets, as well as structures that can deliver alternative payoff profiles. In the first quarter of 2021, the latest data available, the Global Cambridge Associates Private Equity Index, which tracks more than 2,000 funds, rose 7.7% versus 5% for the MSCI world. Uh, Buyout strategies delivered 7.3% during the first quarter compared to 8.8% for growth equity strategies. And we continue to see private markets uh, as attractive, offering an alternative source of growth, income, and alpha potential. What do the growth opportunities look like then, Karen? When it comes to growth opportunities, private equity can provide a broader exposure to earlier stage growth companies that are generally not available uh, on public markets. For instance, we count almost 500,000 privately held tech companies globally compared to just uh, 8,000 that are listed on public exchanges. And Private equity investors are particularly active in fast-growing areas with the current focus on fintech, digital subscription, cybersecurity, uh, healthcare, as well as in sectors that are benefiting from the shift to more sustainable economies. When it comes to income opportunities, in exchange for less liquidity, direct lending and coral asset strategies can provide enhanced yield in excess of uh, listed fixed income. Uh, for instance, firstly, in loans to middle market companies typically uh, yield 400 to 600 basis points above benchmark rates. And real asset strategies such as core real estate or core infrastructure are also an attractive way to, to improve income diversification, but also hedge against uh, long term inflation. And, and when it comes to alpha opportunities, so for example, many companies borrowed from private lenders and on capital markets at the height of the pandemic to address liquidity stress and financial stress. And as the recovery takes hold, these companies are reassessing cooperations and, and competencies and potentially selling underperforming or non-strategic businesses to reduce debt uh, or improve operational efficiency. And private equity investors can acquire these businesses at potentially lower valuations, leverage expertise to create value and ultimately generate attractive returns. And what about hedge funds, Karim? Tell us how these can aid this process of diversifying with alternatives. 
Hedge fund is another area which we think is attractive at the moment, offering an appealing combination of potentially attractive risk-adjusted returns, uh, less downside sensitivity than equities, and diversification. The industry continues to enjoy a period of strength uh, after delivering double-digit returns in 2020. The average hedge fund is up between 5 and 10% year-to-date, according to HFR indices. And we think hedge funds can be a particularly effective tool to increase uh, portfolio diversification. Uh, historically, hedge funds have both suffered smaller drawdowns and recovered faster than equities during crisis, and they have improved the overall risk return profile of a multi-asset portfolio. And, and importantly, current market technicals such as dispersion and correlation are conducive for returns. Additionally, the transition to a reflationary environment with fundamentals taking the forefront, structural themes such as sustainability, digitization, deglobalization, uh, as well as future monetary policy decisions are all opportunities for managers to take advantage of. Karim Sheriff. Finally today, let's shine a spotlight on the healthcare space. This is a sector, after all, that can offer a pretty appealing combination of defensive and longer-term growth features, combining inelastic demand and attractive long-term structural drivers. Lachlan Towart is Equity Sector Strategist for UBS Global Wealth Management, and he joins us now. Lachlan, I mentioned defensive growth features there. Explain a bit more to us about these subsectors. In our ordinary lives, healthcare tends to be things like hospitals, but in the the world of investments in the stock market, the biggest part of the healthcare sector is the drugs industry, pharma companies, biotech companies. And they represent around 50% of the industry's capitalization on a global basis. Now, the demand for these products or for these companies' products tends to be relatively insensitive to the economy. So for that basis, we've only seen a very small decline in drug sales over the past 12 months. And that's been completely manageable from the perspective of the companies involved. So we actually, we saw that earnings growth in the pharma industry and in the broader healthcare industry was still positive last year. So on that basis, it's defensive, it's less impacted. And you know, on our base case, that the economy is further impacted by Delta, we expect vaccinated countries to continue without lockdowns and we expect the economy to continue growing above trend. But in the event that turns out not to be the case, a sector like pharma is very well positioned to offer some defence against a deterioration in the economic growth outlook. Let me ask you next about medical devices in this context, Lachlan, because it's an interesting area given that I guess we're going to see this sort of catch up in terms of the number of procedures happening as people return to get maybe treatments that were delayed because of the pandemic and the other constraints on people. And that must mean one imagines that, you know, that medical devices sector is in and of itself quite interesting to look at. Yeah, that's right, Tom. And maybe if I just pause to define what medical devices are, because it's a very varied sector. These are hopefully products that most people don't have very much experience of in their ordinary life. We're talking about things like hip implants, knee implants, pacemakers, all sorts of products that are used within operations, used in hospitals, or sometimes installed in hospitals, like an x-ray machine. So of course, with hospitals disrupted by patients with COVID, or many people unwilling or unable to get to their hospital appointments, we've seen a lot of these operations have been cancelled, and that's had an enormous knock-on effect on the medical device industry. This is a fairly big chunk of the healthcare sector. It was around a third of the capitalization, so it has had an impact. It is also large and liquid and investable, which is great. It creates an opportunity for us. Now, as you say, we've seen that disruption, and we're now on the way back out of it. So right now, volumes 
of medical procedures are actually not that different to what they were going into or pre the pandemic. But because many people missed opportunities to have surgeries, that's a backlog that's been created and that still has to be worked through. So very, very near term, as we get through the tail end of Delta, there might continue to be disruption. And investors are trying to pass out from the various players in the industry, the companies themselves, but also their customers and hospitals, the health insurance, what is the very, very near term impact? But we would actually look through that and say, look, in the fourth quarter, we're going to see some of this backlog hopefully work down. And going into 22, we're going to see that impact even stronger. So this is an industry that is relatively defensive, but more of a recovery than you're going to see in the pharma industry simply because it's been more disrupted. And we think we're now approaching the latter stages of the work off of that backlog. Lachlan, just perhaps finally, I wanted to talk about some of the kind of structural opportunities, structural growth opportunities there are in this space. I think these are things we've actually touched upon before in the program. There's obviously health tech looking at efficiencies and cost reductions and and gene therapies, which we've definitely discussed. Maybe you could just briefly touch on these two areas as well. Sure. Well, we've discussed them, but it's always worth reminding because I think these are great long-term trends. They're long-term trends that are driven by, I would say, on the one hand, the need, and on the other hand, the technological drivers. So the need is clearly that as the population ages, more and more money is spent on healthcare. We need to make sure that money is generating the right kind of returns, the right kind of outcomes, because governments and other payers cannot put more and more money into healthcare forever. There's going to be a limit, and I think that's quite well established. And then in terms of the technological drivers, we've seen clearly huge technological changes in software, in communications, 5G rollout, for example. These are all technologies that enable health tech. And what we mean by health tech is just making the healthcare industry, the healthcare system more efficient. Ultimately, if we can improve those outcomes, so better outcomes for patients, but bringing down the unit cost of treatment, that's what the health tech industry, the various companies across that industry are trying to do. And we've seen the pandemic has impacted this. It's accelerated the adoption of some of the technologies like telemedicine. But we've always said that health tech is a lot more than just telemedicine. I think you're going to see a lot of change in remote monitoring, remote diagnostics, the intersection of large data applications in drug discovery, in diagnostics. And that's going to continue to happen over the years. So it's very much, as you say, a structural growth opportunity. And then on the other side of it, the genetic therapies, this is really trying to improve the way that we can treat diseases that have been difficult or perhaps impossible to treat in the past. Areas like, obviously, cancer is relevant to, but in some other areas, rare inherited diseases. Some of these diseases are actually quite amenable to treatment by modifying the genetic information, so modifying DNA or RNA. And we've seen the benefits of RNA treatment in some of the vaccines available for COVID. So again, as you know, this is an area we've been following for some time. We see significant opportunity for companies that are able to develop these treatments. Of course, that comes with risk. But I think in the past 12 months, we have seen some data points, for example, in human gene editing, that show that progress has been made despite the impact of the pandemic on companies' ability to do R&D. So again, it's a theme very much for the long term. It's a theme for a satellite portfolio, not a core portfolio. But we think something that in the long run, people really should, investors really would benefit from having having exposure to. Lachlan Towart. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS. Setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.